This is the Ezra Podcast. This is the Boxing Edition Podcast. We're going to be talking about Josh Taylor versus Catterall. You're going to be talking about Chris Colbert versus Garcia. And let's start off with just some headlines to start off with. And we got Dabella teaming up for Paul Bellum. Now, Dabella is a man without a country. He didn't have a network deal. He's a small-time promoter comparative to, you know, big-time promoters such, such as PBC doesn't consider themselves promotion, but PBC top rank in Matchroom and Golden Boy. So now they're with Probellum, who still doesn't, Probellum doesn't really have a major TV deal as well, but, you know, they have money behind them. Where they get that money from is questionable, maybe for a later uh, podcast, or just look into it yourself. Um, and the, the interesting thing, right, and I really wouldn't even talk about this other than the fact that it affects the Cambosos fight, right? Because if you think about the Cambosos fight, and what was causing the delay in the Campbell's fight? Right? Why couldn't the Campbell's fight be made? Why couldn't they decide on Devin Haney why, or Lomachenko? And what was really holding back from the Devin Haney fight getting done with Campbell's? Well, it seemed to me like DeBella was using Campbell's a similar way that Golden Boy used Canelo at one point with DeZoom to get a network deal for his other fighters, for his promotion. And I think that DeZoom wasn't willing to pay for it you know, multiple cards for the Campbell's fight. It looked like Top Rank was willing to pay for maybe two. And at some, DeBella, you know, recently gets a deal pro Bellum. So now it seems like it frees up him trying to get his other fighters on cards. Now they're freed up. They do their, they're going to be on the pro Bellum cards. Now you're just dealing with Campbell's. And I think that really favors Haney in the situation. I think that makes this Haney fight a lot easier to be made. Now, I think that DeZone probably wants just a one-fight deal, Haney versus Cambosos, and I'm sure that Cambosos wants a rematch clause in case he loses. And that's, I think, the part that probably the snag with DeZone because they feel like the first fight's probably not going to make money, right? Like, they're probably going to take a loss on it, especially what they're going to pay Haney and what they're going to pay Cambosos for the fight. That they definitely don't probably don't want to do it twice. They want to use this fight to build Haney's, you know, build Haney by getting him undisputed, Right, so everyone avoided Haney. Now he's undisputed champion. He has all the belts. Now you kind of you use that as a bait to get a bigger fight. Maybe a Ryan Garcia, Lomachenko, uh, maybe even Shakur Stevenson, and maybe even Tank. Right, you could use all that. So the investment makes sense. But if you got to do it for one fight, Haney wins, and then you got to go back and do it again for a Cambosos rematch, it's it, it stops making sense because you're gonna have to lose money twice, and and the way that works. So that that seems like to be the snag, but I also think that included with you know Debella trying to get well, you know his guys on the card and stuff like that. I just feel like that kind of held it up. So I think this will clear it up for Haney a little bit. I think that you know if they really were going to go with Lomachenko, right, and that's really the deal they wanted, <coughs> um, they could have took it already. Like the, that deal's there. The rumors are that Lomachenko already signed it. There's a reason why he hasn't signed it, right? There's a reason why Cambosos hasn't signed that deal or. They haven't announced that they're going to go with that fight. It's because they're still looking at the Haney deal. And they're, they're seeing how, what they could drag out of it, how much money they could drag out of it. And now, they would propel they don't need all their fighters on the card or multiple cards for that matter. So, we're going to see. I, I think this is a good sign for Haney. I think it's a good sign that the fight hasn't signed yet. Right? I think that's a really good sign. that Because the, the Lomachenko does there. I don't think it's going to get any better. It's already there. You've got two fights. Why haven't they signed yet? Why isn't that done? There was a purse bid today, and this is, I'm doing this uh, podcast on Thursday, this is Thursday night, for Andrade, uh, Andrade and versus Parker. And 
Queensbury wins this promo, uh, wins the purse bid over Matchroom. They, they won it by hundred thousand. So both, you know, both um, both promotions knew, you know, the price point for this pro, for this fight. Uh, Andrade is going to get about a million dollars for this fight, and you know, Andrade gets pretty good paydays for a guy that doesn't have that big a name, right? Like he doesn't have the biggest notoriety, and he probably like definitely probably within the top five of guys get paid in middleweight division. This is going to be another decent payday versus opponent that, you know, he should be a favorite against. I'm just curious where Andrade goes from here. Like, what is the plan, right? I would have to think it's Ryder, which makes a lot of sense, right? But then if he beats Ryder, well, even if he wins this fight, he's not going to, I don't believe he's going back to middleweight. They say he's going to go back to middleweight. I don't believe that's the case. But maybe if, um, you know, Mangia wins, the fight versus Janabek. Maybe they could set that up. Maybe it would have to be a name to bring him back down, but I don't think that's going to happen. So I think he stays at 167. Then Ryder, right? Fights Ryder. After that point, does he think he's going to get Canelo? Because I don't think he's going to get Canelo. I don't think that fight's ever going to happen. And I'm not saying that... I think a lot of people think that I, I think that Andrade shouldn't get that fight or doesn't deserve that fight or whatever it is, right? Andrade's, to me, the, few guy, the one guy that calls everybody out and is willing to fight everyone. So, I'm not, I'm never knocked him for saying, like, you know, he doesn't deserve to fight or anything. I just understand why he doesn't get the fights. I do. I truly do understand it. And I'm thinking about his career, and it's like, you know, if he doesn't get Canelo now, and Canelo goes to 175, and he fights Bavol, and then you have better VF versus Smith, and they're going to um, unify their titles, then the winner would be, you know, if he beats Bavol, he has the belt, and then he can go get undisputed by just beating one more guy. That seems to be the more of the Canelo route. Be undisputed at, you know, Lino champion at 154, Lino champion at, or was he undisputed? No, Lino champion at 154, Lino champion at 160, undisputed at 167, undisputed at 175. You know, it, it, it looks good on paper, sounds good, and those are some big names he's going to beat to get there. I don't think that, Andra, I don't think Andrade is going to get a Canelo fight. And I'm thinking about like just past careers. I don't. I can't really remember a guy like Andrade that, you know, just never got to fight. I, I, mean, I can't think of it. You know, Winky Wright comes to mind. He got Vargas early, so you know he did get the opportunity early, and then he just disappeared, right? And he he went on and had to take a tough route to get back to that. You know, the big picture with the main guys, and he got finally gets Shane Mosley, and then from Shane Mosley he gets. Felix Trinidad, then he gets uh, Jermaine Taylor, and then he gets Hopkins. So, so he he gets some big fights, and I really can't think of another guy that just never got the opportunity to get those fights. He just never gets the matchup. Andrade's going there. He's close. You know, Andrade's not a young fighter. He's getting older, and now he's moving up in weight, so it's going to get a little bit harder, a little, little less room for error, right, in his career. And he might be the guy that's just going to be. To me, like the you look it up in the you know the definition of dictionary of a guy that just never got the the fight, never got a big fight. It's gonna be Andrade, and he was always highly ranked, always a champion, and never got a big fight. It's crazy how that you know how his career kind of turned out, but he's getting good paydays. So I guess it's just you know where's your priorities? I know that Andrade wants the big fights. I know he wants the the challenges and the test of you know, and he wants people to recognize his greatness and see his greatness. It just doesn't seem like that's going to play out. And now we're talking about the Canelo deal. Speaking of Canelo, and, you know, we know that his own deal's out there, and there's rumors that 
you know, Bavol's going to be coming to L.A. for his training camp. So it looks like, you know, Canelo's going to take the Bavol deal. Versus, and then Triple G after. And I'm saying this, I'm going to say this on podcast and I'll say this on, you know, on Twitter. If he fights Bavol and Triple G, Triple G is not going to fight Murata. And I'm pretty sure that that was the thing holding up the Bavol deal. Was that Triple G was having to sign to say that. He's getting out of the Murata fight, and he's not going to fight Murata because he's not because Canelo's not going to risk a guaranteed payday for Triple G to fight Murata, right? In case Murata, in case Murata wins, and I really think that, that was holding out the deal. I just can't see that if Canelo signs this deal, that he risks that second part because it seems to me the most um, enticing part of the Bavol Triple G deal is Triple G the back end for forty five million because I really believe that Canelo thinks that Triple G is old. He thinks this is not his weight class, and he thinks he'll run through him. And I think he looks at it as a bit of a tune-up, honestly. So, I think that if this deal happens with Bavol and Triple G, I don't think he'll be saying Triple G for some rod. I'm going to call my shot now. But I've also said, I don't believe that that fight's going to happen, Bavol or Triple G. And I think that PBC is going to pull this fight, this deal off, and get Charlo and Benavides versus Canelo. Right, and I think that Canelo uses Triple G the same way the NFL used LA for a long time when they needed to force cities to build new stadiums. They would say, okay, you don't want to build it? We'll move the team from there. We'll take them to LA because LA doesn't have a team and it would only make sense, right? Big market. And they did this for years and they would threaten and then the city would fold because they wouldn't want their team to leave to LA and they would build a new stadium or they would get, you know, whatever new deal they're negotiating. And I think that's what. Canelo does with Triple G. He uses them to negotiate against the PBC. And he says, well, I have that deal over there with Triple G, right? He did the same thing with Plan. You know, I, I could go just fight Triple G, right? He's ready. He's ready to go. And he he, he gets kills two birds with one stone, really, because he screws with Triple G, who thinks he's going to get the fight and then doesn't get it. And then he gets the more money from PBC. And in between this time, everybody says that he's scared to fight the two guys PBCs are offering. So then that makes it a bigger fight and a better win for him. Very crafty. Very creative. But I'm going to say he's going to take the PBC deal. It's similar to the Cambosos Lomachenko, the deal's there. You know, he, he signed it if, if 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 he wanted that to go that way. Let's talk about the fights this weekend. We got Josh Taylor, undisputed. No doubt about it. 140-pound champ versus Jack Catterall. In a, I'm guessing this is a mandatory. Like I said, I don't really pay attention to the, the standings or what the hell the sanctioning bodies order. But I'm guessing this is a mandatory. And uh, Justin should be a huge favorite in this fight. I can't see him losing this fight. And Josh Taylor is, you know, I think people are getting behind now how great he really is and, you know, what his offense is. And he's just a special fighter with a special feel. And I'm looking at his punches like there's just not a lot of motion behind them, right? There doesn't need, there's no extra wasted space. It's everything so tight and compact. And his spacing is so good. Now, does he make mistakes? Sure, you know, he stays in range too long. He's usually always stays in range. He's really an offensive fighter. He's looking to gun it out with you. He did not say he doesn't have any defense. He does, but his defense is mostly off of, like, feel and reaction. And that can get you in trouble, especially when you stay in range all the time. Also, sometimes he'll pull straight back, right? And you can follow him, and he'll get stuck with his, in, with his guard up in a bad position just pulling him straight back. He does have these kind of flaws that, you know, he's going to take shots. He's going to be damaged in fights. Especially against higher level competition because he stays in range. He really believes in his offense. 
Now, against a really hard-hitting pinpoint guy like uh, Terrence Crawford, you know, you have to really wonder, like, well, how long can he do that without Terrence Crawford just catching him at the end of the night? And that's what really make that fight interesting because Taylor's offense is damn good, too, right? And I don't think that Terrence Crawford really faced an, ever an offense that what Josh Taylor has to offer, a fighter as dynamic as Josh Taylor. But I think we could jump in ahead because we've got to talk about Jack Catterall, who... To me, his level's below Josh Taylor. Now, the things he does do good, right? He's, uh, it's funny because I put Taylor twice from the next, uh, the first one is Catterall, but it's, uh, he's got a sideways stance. He, 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 he kind of reaches, you know what I mean? I, I'm not, these are not really necessarily things he does good, but like he kind of reaches with his shots. Then he could also come short. Like he kind of has a hard time finding his range. You know, people say, like, a guy's awkward. Usually that means that he isn't any good or they don't think he's really highly skilled, but he finds ways to win. I think Jack Catterall's kind of guy that finds ways to win fights. I don't think he'll do it against guy level. Josh Taylor will affect I'm going to say I know he he won't. And I think that maybe he'll, you know, his early work where he overshoots his shots, you know, might be able to keep him in the fight where it's like he throws a shot and is able to smother Josh Taylor, but... Once Josh Taylor kind of starts figuring out the range, and then once he starts noticing that Jack Catterall can punch from far away and not take a step in and kind of get stuck and be off balance because of his sideways stance, I think Josh Taylor's going to catch him at that point. And I think once he does, I think Catterall will be a lot of trouble in this fight. Josh Taylor's offense is, you know, it's just really good. It's really compact. And I just like, the honestly, the no-wasted space. It reminds me of, like, in jiu-jitsu, when... You're doing, a, you know, like a, a position, right? Or you're grabbing a hold. You never want too much space in between, like your arm to your body or something like that. Everything's supposed to be tight. And that's why I think of like Josh Taylor when he's boxing or throwing punches. It's like everything is so tight. He doesn't need a lot of room or doesn't need a lot of leverage to get the power of those shots or get the shots off. And because the, the he's so long, but his movement is so tight, that it's like when he gets these combos off, he, it's just... And you're like not really even able to read what's happening or what's coming next because it's so tight. Everything is so compact. Another thing is I think Jack Catterall kind of benefits too from being Southpaw and he's fighting another Southpaw so it kind of like eliminates some kind of, you know, making the fight awkward advantage that he would have. But I'm going to take Josh Taylor in this fight. I think that Catterall, like I said, is going to be too wide. He's going to overshoot early and then when he starts coming up short, I think Josh Taylor's going to read that right away and just catch him. I think Taylor will uh, stay in range and just take him apart. I'm going to pick Josh Taylor to get a stoppage in this fight. I'm going to say about the fifth, sixth round, Josh Taylor gets a stoppage. The counter is that Catterall, right, instead of overreaching and all that, you know, wait till Josh Taylor gets to work and then follow him out. Those points where Josh Taylor stays in too long or Josh Taylor kind of pulls out and gets stuck, you follow him with those shots. And Catterall has a, a, good, a good left, right, overhand left. Follow him with those shots. Work his body. When he covers up in the guard and gets stuck. And, you know, maybe the, the, the those openings, those mistakes that are going to be there, we know they're going to be there, maybe you could capitalize on them. But that's what we would have to look for to do. I'm going to take Josh Taylor in this fight. I think everyone's taking Josh Taylor in this fight. And it's really curious to see, you know, I imagine Josh Taylor goes from this fight. You know, he's talking Terrence Crawford, which it's not insane to say, right? Even though that uh, Terrence Crawford's suing top ring. But there is also the MTK... MTK connection, right? And just and Terrence Crawford doesn't seem like he could find an opponent. 
Josh Taylor is a high-level opponent for Terrence Crawford. But also Josh Taylor has Tiafima Lopez, who is going to be moving 140. Going to take, sounds like a tough fight against Arnold Barbosa. We'll see where that goes. But that's a huge fight for him. And you would have to think that he's keeping the belts to fight a, the likes of Tiafima Lopez, which would be a massive fight uh, for both guys. So we'll see after this. Let's see how he looks after this fight and who he calls out. On another card, this would be a Showtime card. You got Gary Antoine Russell versus Victor Postal. And um, Victor Postal, to me, this fight was going to be very interesting because Gary Antoine Russell has looked dominant. And he's looked like, and everybody's just ready to declare him the best one forward in the world. And people, you know, saying that he, he's the only one that could beat Boots and he would destroy Haney and all these things. And we're at the point right now we've got a lot of prospects and a lot of guys coming up that everybody's just crowning him champion. So we've crowned so many, you know, new guys champion that we're, we actually have more uh, crowned than sanctioning body belts. You know what I mean? So that we have more than WBC, IBF, WBO, WBA, or wherever the hell, three letters you want to say. There's more crowns because they're just handing them out. But Gary Anthony Russell does look very good. I'm not going to lie. Very talented fighter. Now, I do think that he's a very much, a fav- he very much wants to fight on the inside. Now, on the outside, he uses his... Uh, He's kind of like one shot at a time with a straight left. But he is definitely going to want to get on the inside for this fight. He kind of throws like a filler jab. Never really puts that much behind it. Um, like I said, big straight left. Goes in and loves to hook. He's going to hook with you. He's going to kind of get in there on you and pressure you. And he has good hand speed. It looks like he has some decent power too. He does work body and head. He's just, you know, he spreads it out until he has a, I just heard someone on Twitter describe it as like a Mexican style. And I, I kind of agree with that. He also can, you know, when he gets on the inside, he can bounce back really quick too and be able to attack from those different angles that he bounces back in. He's a very good and talent, uh, talented and dynamic fighter. But you find a guy like Victor Postal and it seems like this is Gary Anton Russell, which they brought along nicely in the past uh, two years. But Victor Postal is going to be the best fighter he's faced. Now, Victor Postal, I thought when I broke down this fight, you know, would be able to keep the range because Victor Postal, remember, it just fought Jose Ramirez in a fight that I thought he had won. And Jose Ramirez was just the champ at 140. And he just lost, you know, in decisive fashion to Josh Taylor, but still competitive fight, a very good fight, entertaining fight, showed that he was at that level. So if Victor Postal just beat a guy that just showed Josh Taylor he's at the level, and also Victor Postal hurt Josh Taylor. When they fought each other, it was a competitive fight. This is a guy that, you know, is so experienced. So, he's, to me, very talented. And it's just not like, I know everybody's saying like, oh, the Gary Anderson is going to stop him. I just can't see that. Now, this was when I, that's when I broke it down. I thought like, ah, this fight's going to go to decision. And I think the Postal's going to have good moments in it. Now, I think Gary Anderson might be able to outwork him, especially because of his style. And he does have good speed and he does have a good straight left. That, you know, might just land more than Victor Postal does. But we have the war going on. We're Russia invading Ukraine. And Victor Postal's family is in Ukraine right now. So mentally, you know, this is a disaster. Of course, like in real life, it's a disaster. But it's also a disaster for Victor Postal as far as where his mind is for, you know, this fight. It, 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 you know, I don't think anyone can blame him if it's not in the fight. So... I'm going to go with my original prediction, right? Because I can't, I can't, you know, how am I going to predict what Victor Post is thinking or what he's going through or how he's going to perform? 
as far as knowing this news, right, of what's happening. So I'm going to say that Gary Nance Russell is going to have a hard time getting on the inside in this fight. Now, I think that his activity is going to be enough to win rounds for him, especially straight left. I think straight left will be the fight, the punch that kind of wins the, the fight for him. But I think the Victor, Victor Pulse is going to have good moments, especially in the middle rounds when he finds his range, is comfortable, and doesn't have to be too defensive, is able to kind of build on that, uh, his offense at a comfortable range. And I expect late Gary Anton Russell to put more pressure and take more chances and, you know, secure a decision. But I think this is a good, close, close competitive fight. With Victor Postal, you know, not just giving Anton Russell those, that space he needs to get on the inside and making him earn it. Let's see what Gary Anton Russell has, what kind of dynamic movement he has in his legs or head movement or movement with his head movement or feints and jabs to get on the inside. We're going to see. You know, his jabs are mostly fillers, but he's going to kind of probably need it to get on the inside in this fight. I'm going to take Gary Anton Russell. Like, my counter is his post, uh, postal is able to stay bouncing, right? He's able to, even with a little bit of older age, uh, a little later in his career, and really frustrate Russell, right? And not let Russell get on the inside and kind of just get Russell stuck on the outside and deter him mentally. Like, you know, hasn't really faced much opposition yet in the pros. That he just sees it and he's like, I don't think this one, this one's going to happen for me. And once he gets him thinking that in the middle rounds, Victor Postal could kind of start putting it on too, right? Especially get stuck in that range. So that would be my counter. In the main event, you got Chris Colbert versus Hector Luis Gonzalez. And Hector Luis Gonzalez is a replacement for Roger uh, Roger Gutierrez, who is going to fight Chris Colbert uh, for... Um, I believe Chris Colbert was a mandatory, or was the no, 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 this was the interim, I, you know, I'm not sure what it was, you know me, I don't buy into any of that nonsense, but that was a good fight, it got canceled because of uh, COVID, so then Hector Luis Gonzalez enters, and Hector Luis Gonzalez isn't a bad fighter, he's not like, you know, someone they pulled from the crowd or something like that, no, he has skills, and he, a lot of things he wants to do, Chris Colbert does, he, you know, the, where he wants to fight, Chris Colbert likes to fight in the center of the ring, and it's kind of like just one of those things where it's like Chris Colbert is just better at him, better at it than what uh, Hector Luis Gonzalez wants to do. Chris Colbert just is better at doing it. And when you get that and that happens, it's kind of easy to see. Now, does that mean he has no chance to fight? No, it, does, it doesn't mean that. But it just means he's going to probably have to pull out tricks um, that he doesn't usually go to. It's not like usually like set in his game of how he fights. But I do expect this fight to take a place in the middle of the ring, and I do expect Chris Colbert to be faster, quicker to the spot, quicker to his punches, and flashier, and less hittable than Hector Gonzalez. But I expect Hector Gonzalez to, you know, not look like he doesn't belong in the ring. But I would say Chris Colbert in this fight, and I think Chris Colbert will be set up after this fight to, you know, which should have been a really good fight for him this weekend, but will now be set up to get the match with... Uh, Roger Gutierrez or, you know, Leo Santa Cruz is at that weight. I know he says he wants to go back down, but Leo Santa Cruz, uh, still the Gary Russell rumor fight. Even Mark Mike Sale can move up. He's a big, he's a big, uh, he's a big kid. So there's a lot of fights for Chris Colbert. Even Chris Colbert can move up and move to 135. And there's some interesting fights for that, for him there. So I'll take Chris Colbert in this fight. I'll take it by decision. Chris Colbert doesn't have the most, you know, doesn't have the most power. So I'll, I'll take him. By decision, I just think that he's gonna he's gonna sail away with this one. Uh, counter for um, Garcia is just jab, jab, and feints. Right? Don't let uh, Colbert get too comfortable picking shots and you know really get in the rhythm of the ring. 
that's where I see this going. Thank you guys for listening. This has been the Ezra Podcast.